0: How can small businesses survive tough competition? Will the 5G rollout accelerate IOT adoption? And pandemic shopping habits are here to stay. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. (laughs) Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Routing and Scheduling delivers the most advanced transportation management systems to world-leading brands, helping to maximize operational fleet efficiencies, improve driver retention, optimize resources, and turn private fleets into profit engines. If you're ready to make savings of up to 30% and see ROI within 12 months, Aptian can help. For more information, visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, it's been a challenging year and a half for most businesses, especially smaller companies, without the capital to survive the tough times. Yet other larger distributors have had the ability to quickly adapt and and have actually thrived during the COVID-19 pandemic and even continue to grow bigger during that time. So how can small and medium-sized businesses compete with the big guys on the block? To answer that question, here is Victoria with today's guest. Victoria?
1: Thank you, Dave. Our guest today is Thomas Evans, Chief Robotics Technology Officer at Honeywell. Thomas is here to talk about how small and mid-sized distribution centers can compete in a world of corporate supply chains. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you, Victoria. First, let's start by um, talking about how you define a small to mid-sized DC. What are the key characteristics we're talking about?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that is a a moving target as we look at the demand and the acceleration the DC warehouse space. I mean, from my perspective, you can gauge that on operational square footage, uh, how much throughput your facility moves per day per seasonal requirement and demand. Uh, But if you look at the square footage, you're seeing smaller DCs in the ranges of 50,000 square feet. And on the larger end, you're seeing some that are up to It's the million square footage all trying to take advantage of not just the the floor plan but the vertical space and a lot of technology comes into that as as how uh, these small to mid-sized facilities optimize that as much as the larger ones so i think that's a a moving question so to speak with the demand that you're seeing Uh, but those are some of the operational parameters that we would throw out there as far as when sizing what those categories are
1: So we see that sort of hyper-fast pace of logistics today and the pressure that's putting on D.C. operations. Can you talk about some of the greatest challenges that are facing these types of facilities uh, you just sort of defined here? And and talk about how they can compete with their um, larger competitors.
2: Yeah, I've had the opportunity to visit a lot of customers recently, particularly in the last year when this demand has just gone through the roof and seeing the smaller operations working. And there are some limitations there. Maybe they weren't actually in the position to have the full automation. Maybe they were still in the paper prone processes and managing inventory and not investing in the larger uh, WMS, WES systems that can help guide their workflows and guide their productivity. Uh, But also on the other end, I think that there was an advantage to those larger players that have the larger workforce. We already have in place the automation and the robotics and technology to adapt and um, take advantage of the pandemic growth and the increase in e-com and retail. Uh, but some of the things that we were seeing, and I think that talking to the customers even across the board, whether it's a large player or a small player, uh, the voice of the customer is we still want, or the voice of the DC, the operation space being the customer for us, is we still want to take on large pieces of automation regardless of the demand right now. And that's something we're trying to piece out when we solution and talk to customers, is how do we start them from various stages in their automation path to make sure that they can meet demand and be more resilient with the changes in in demand over the course of years, particularly ones that are unexpected, like we saw with the pandemic.
1: So, you know, how do you approach this? So we're talking about robotics and automation. Um, you know, you're dealing with a small or mid-sized distributor, um, how do, where do you start? And I know it probably depends on the particular customer, of course, but where do you generally start and how do you help them along the way? What are some sort of best practices?
2: Get out and see the facility and talk to the customer firsthand. Understand what uh, their issues are that they're facing, the problems, what particular solution paths you can take. Some of the factors are, is this a brownfield site? Are you going to have to be retrofitting? What is their current capital investment capability? And some of the things that we would offer in response to that are how we built with Honeywell Intelligrated, the footprint, the adaptation with our material handling equipment, and being an overall solution provider. Uh, but ultimately, from our sales and offering management side, how can we provide a a CapEx option, but also provide robots as a service option, which maybe they don't have to make that upfront capital expense. So those are all things that I would want to talk and my team would want to talk with you know, the DC operators about is what's the best path to get there and, and time is of essence in that case. How do we do that quickly. How do we do it effectively and make sure they can take in these automation increases and go live with that quickly.
1: So a lot of that is determining the right level, I would think, of technology and automation. And, you know, how are you advising um, smaller companies um, when it comes to that issue? You know, sometimes they may have these ideas of what they need and maybe it's not exactly what they need. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, how do you sort of counsel smaller companies along those lines?
2: Uh, looking at their process, and for instance, I'll give some examples. I mean, just this week, being out at some facilities, I mean, always starting, uh, let's say, at the end of line. Uh, labor shortages uh, in the D.C. space, the environment is tough. I mean, picking up packages and placing them onto an induction is something that has a high turnover. And you can see I visited through some pilots that we were doing with some technology, particularly around uh, mixed-Q depalletization that led to our smart, flexible deep house solution, which we're offering now you could watch the shift basically change in their productivity over the course of the six to eight hours. And seeing those levels of productivity and and telling our providers, hey, if you put at your end of line where you may have some real estate to put in a robotic cell, which will help and aid your workforce to induct packages into bulk flow into your system and convey it, those are areas where we could start. I mean, that would be one option that we would evaluate a facility with and look at the product that we're currently offering this year to help DCs and warehouses increase their throughput and and address some labor shortages.
1: You anticipated my next question. I was gonna ask you about labor challenges, how they remain a really, really key issue for warehouses and DCs. Can you talk a little bit more about how this is affecting smaller operations, more of in a a general sense, and and sort of how you help um, companies, smaller companies sort of train and, and, and bring them along?
2: Yeah, I think that maybe when you're talking about the small to mid-sized DC, a labor impact of one or two FTE change can be a lot more detrimental when comparing it to a larger DC warehouse operation where you can backfill or you have readily available workforce to come in or a quicker process to train new employees. That might not be the luxury that the smaller sizes have. If you lose one work forklift driver for the day, do you have that qualified replacement to keep the same throughput? Those are questions that a lot of operators probably have. Um, one of the things that I think is, is beneficial, and you could talk about the other side of the house, is some of the labor force management software that we have at Honeywell, understanding the productivity in different areas of the, uh, the warehouse that your workforce is putting out. But then again, I think the resiliency comes around having smaller workforces that are trained in various departments that can can be uh, adapted to new phases or seasonal changes where the productivity is high or new waves of product come in where they're trained on technology. And some of the things that we do to implement technology with that workforce is train them as we're commissioning it. We wanna make sure our product can be almost error proof where anyone can pick it up, get it operational, identify faults in a robotic system and get it back online if it's happening, but make sure they understand how the technology works. That gives them an overall more understanding of how to operate it and how to, therefore, be more beneficial from it.
1: So we've seen so much um, growth in um, interest in you know technology solutions, robotics, automation, all of that, especially in this last year and a half. I'll ask you a crystal ball type question. Where do you see this all going sort of, I guess, in, in the rest of 2021 and, and looking out a little further? You know, how do you expect this to to shape up in terms of demand and and, um, you know, what kinds of things people are putting into use in all kinds
2: of facilities? Uh, Good question. I answer that in a couple ways. When I started at Honeywell, I did an assessment of our technology, our robotics offerings, and also did an assessment of the industry. And some of the things that I've changed in our R&D development engineering roadmap was focusing on some narrowing technologies, technologies that I see are going to be foundational to any direction that uh, automation goes in the next 3, 5, 10 years. And of course, everyone across this industry has talked about lights out, dark warehouse, full facility automation. I know that is a, a very aggressive statement to make because of the complexities we see in warehouse operations, but on the same side, when I refocus where we're going, those foundational technologies are going to drive us there to do bigger footprints of automation in the future. And when I say foundational technologies, I say the automation of robotics pick-and-place activities, autonomous mobile robotics, interfacing those into integrated systems, and then the piece parts of machine vision, AI, ML, everything is going to facilitate that for us on our roadmap of where we're going with automation at Honeywell Robotics. Do I see the demand increasing? Of course. I don't think it's going to go down. I think e-commerce and a lot of the uh, customers, the end customers, have gotten used to online ordering. We were forced into that domain when COVID hit, and now a lot are very comfortable with online grocery orders or e-commerce and 24, 48-hour delivery. I think it's only gonna increase uh, the requirements of what providers are gonna have to meet when it goes from 24 to 48-hour delivery down to 12 to 24, and then that same day. I mean, those are all things where I think the industry is going to go, and those that have the biggest investment and familiarity to operate in automation and technology and robotics are going to reap the benefits of that demand.
1: And I think you're right that the the pace of growth is just going to continue and the demand for sure. Um, Thomas, thank you so much for being with us today and for these insights. Um, We appreciate you being here. Thank you, Victoria. We've been talking with Thomas Evans, Chief Robotics Technology Officer for Honeywell. Back to you, Dave.
0: Thank you, Victoria and Thomas. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about the ongoing rollout of 5G wireless networks and how it's opening new doors for Internet of Things or IoT applications. What more can you tell us?
3: Uh, That's right, Dave. And uh, a lot of this follows on the theme that Thomas was talking about, about spiraling demand uh, for technology tools and logistics. Uh, In this case, a lot of people talk about 5G cell networks uh, as a really important next big thing, uh, because that fifth generation technology will allow much more and much faster data sharing uh, than your current cell phone. It'll also open the door to a new age of Internet of Things applications and supply chain, as well as many other sectors, uh, because that expanded capacity will support many more wireless sensors and also let their batteries last longer. So in logistics applications, that kind of technology will let companies do things like remote monitoring of conveyors and forklifts, um, inventory tracking, uh, predictive maintenance, um, employee performance measures. but. Uh, starting up a nationwide 5G network is not as easy as just flipping a switch. You need new antennas, new chips in in phones and sensors, um, a whole new generation of technology. And this week, we learned about another hurdle. That's the uh, the electronic frequency bands that enable that high performance. Uh, it's measured in gigahertz, um, which is beyond my pay grade in education. Uh, but they don't carry as far as 3G and 4G wireless signals do. Uh, so network providers are going to have to install a lot more base stations than 3G and 4G networks have needed to support the new data flow. Uh, and that's according to a study by a uh, analyst firm in uh, the UK called ID TechX.
0: Ben, did they say how big of a challenge that's going to be?
3: Yes, the, the ID TechX report uh, has a forecast that 45 million 5G small cells will need to be installed by 2031 to support this vision. Uh, so that's over the next decade, 45 million new cells. Uh, together, they'll form uh, what the firm called ultra-dense networks of a large number of small cells, just distributed over a very uh, wide area. So compared to what they call today's macro cells, the new generation would include smaller ones, um, which include names like femtocells, cells, and microcells. Um, all that depends on the output power of each type. And users can expect to find this host of cellular antennas at uh, what the firm called semi-indoor spots, like sports stadiums and train stations, markets, outdoor malls, as well as uh, fully outdoor locations like lampposts and billboards, and also public areas, you know, airports, universities, uh, factories, hotels, offices, and of course, warehouses, according to the
0: firm. Yeah. Well, it certainly be interesting to see how quickly this all develops, and So we can take advantage of some of those faster capabilities of 5G. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Glad to do it. And Victoria, you reported that many of the online shopping habits that consumers adopted during the pandemic are here to stay. Can you explain more?
1: Absolutely, yes. And we'll continue the theme here, um, just talking about increased speed of delivery and all of that. Um, This week, a study, or uh, we reported on a study by fulfillment services company, Where to Go, which is a UPS company. um, And it found that many of the online shopping habits we consumers developed during the pandemic are here to stay, as you mentioned, Dave. Um, We've been hearing a lot about that anecdotally, uh, but this study polled 1,000 consumers about the issue um, earlier this spring um, as pandemic restrictions were easing and -and brick-and-mortar stores were relaxing their in-person shopping limitations. Uh, They found that people aren't necessarily rushing back to stores. About 80% of consumers said they had increased their online shopping during during the pandemic. And about 90% said they plan to do as much or more of that shopping online now, even with restrictions easing and in-person activities resuming nationwide. Another interesting statistic was that um, almost a third of those polled said they have an urge to spend now that the COVID-19 restrictions are easing.
0: So what does that mean for retailers and the supply chain in general?
1: Yeah, well, the short answer is uh, continued demand for logistics services, particularly fast and free shipping. Uh, A third of the respondents said the pandemic raised their expectations for timely shipping, as I think we can probably all attest. uh, And 40 percent said it increased their expectations for free shipping. On top of that, 80% said they are more likely to make a purchase online if the brand offers free shipping. And 75% said they are more likely to purchase if the brand offers shipping in um, in two days or less. Uh, Nearly 80% said they are more likely to purchase from a brand again if the shipping was fast. And almost 70% said they are more likely to click on an ad that offers fast, free shipping. So there seems to be a clear link between shipping speed and brand loyalty, according to the survey authors. And another interesting find, at least to me, was that sustainability um, is also important when it comes to consumers and their e-commerce dollars. This is something we've talked quite a bit about on the podcast as well, sort of the growing importance of sustainability efforts across the supply chain. And I can give you just a few statistics from the report about this. 88% of respondents listed sustainability as an important consideration for purchasing decisions, and 66% said it has become important since the pandemic. More than half said they are willing to pay extra for sustainable shipping, and 66% so they are more likely to purchase from a brand with carbon-neutral shipping if the product and shipping costs they're looking at are the same. Last thing is that other is that consumers want um, retailers to use eco-friendly shipping protocols. They're looking for them to carry more green brands. And they're also very interested in in brands that promote conversations about sustainability on social media. So just some interesting trends uh, going on in the world of uh, consumer uh, e-commerce purchasing.
0: Yeah, it really is, and and I'm happy to see that sustainability aspect to online shopping as well. Hopefully, it's next. Absolutely. Sticks. Thanks, yes. Victoria.
1: <laughs> You're welcome.
0: We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and. Check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights from the news this week.
3: Thanks. It was fun.
1: My pleasure.
0: And again, our thanks to Dr. Thomas Evans of Honeywell for being our guest today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. The new episodes of logistics matters are uploaded each friday and a reminder logistics matters is sponsored by aptian forged from decades of industry experience aptian routing and scheduling supports logistics and delivery fulfillment operations with the tools needed to optimize resources automate route planning and drive savings of up to 30 percent your fleet operation holds the key to enhanced profit Aptian Routing and Scheduling can help you to find it. Visit Aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will discuss the impacts that President Biden's recent executive orders will have on ocean rail and other freight markets. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a
1: great week.